0: I'm Charlie Melcher, founder and director of The Future of Storytelling. Welcome back to The FOSS Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Smith, co-founder and CEO of StoryFile. Prior to StoryFile, Stephen founded the UK Holocaust Center in England and spent 12 years as the executive director of the Shoah Foundation at USC. One of Stephen's primary concerns throughout his professional life has been preserving the memory of the Holocaust for future generations. In pursuit of this goal, through both the Shoah Foundation and Storyfile, Steven has helped develop a new medium of storytelling and human interaction called conversational video. Using the power of voice recognition and natural language processing, this technology allows users to have lifelike conversations with pre-recorded videos of people. From a Holocaust survivor to a famous celebrity to a corporate CEO. Imagine being able to sit in a room with anyone, even someone who's no longer alive, and ask them any question you can think of. That's the vision of StoryFile. I was so impressed by this technology when I first experienced it, that I asked Stephen to come present it at the Future of Storytelling Summit twice. After experiencing Faust, Stephen invited me to be an advisor to Storyfile. And in full transparency, I was compensated with a small amount of stock in the company. I think once you hear my conversation with Stephen, you'll understand why I was and continue to be such a huge fan of this technology and its far reaching potential. Please join me in welcoming Stephen Smith to the Faust podcast. Stephen Smith, it's such a pleasure to have you on the Future of Storytelling podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Joel. It's great to be here. We first got to know each other around this amazing project that you and your wife created when you were running the Shoah Foundation, New Dimensions and Testimony. That was an extraordinary piece. Can you, first of all, just tell us a little bit about your time at the Shoah Foundation, the origins of it, and then we'll go into, into New Dimensions and Testimony.
1: Yeah, I think most people are aware of the fact that uh, in 1993, Steven Spielberg made the film Schindler's List. Out of that, he decided to create something that was called the Survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation. The Shoah is the Hebrew term for the Holocaust. And he realized there were many, many stories that had not been told. And he realized that while he was making the story of Schindler's List. He was telling the story of one man and what happened during the Holocaust. And it was very clear there were thousands and thousands of stories that had not been told. Uh, We collected over 50,000 interviews in 56 countries in 32 languages, um, each one of them giving an opportunity for somebody who was a witness to the Holocaust mainly Jewish survivors of the Holocaust, but not only, uh, survivors of a variety of backgrounds, uh, Roma and Sinti and um, homosexuals who were persecuted and and Poles who were persecuted as political prisoners and so forth, as well as those who had witnessed it because they were perhaps liberating the camps or prosecuting war crimes and so forth. Mm. Over 50,000 testimonies, Charlie, each one of them telling the story of a life what they lived through, what they'd seen, what they experienced, what their life was like before, what they went through, and who they came to be by the 1990s when this was being uh, recorded. And this
0: led to how many hours of, of video footage, r- roughly?
1: Was well, approximately 120,000 hours at this point. So, you know, that would take you about
0: 14 years to watch end-to-end, 24 hours a day. Okay, so I guess one of the challenges became that there was such a mass of information, such a mass of video, that being able to access it, or maybe a better way to say is to make it relevant for people and, and something that someone could come to and get a lot out of, was a real challenge. That leads us nicely to the creation of New Dimensions in Testimony which was kind of a whole new way of thinking about uh, making history come alive. Um, So please describe that project. Well, yeah, about 2009, Heather Mayo, who
1: at the time was a friend of mine, uh, now is my wife, which is a whole other story, which we could do on another (laughs) another day on another podcast, um, came to me and she said to me, you know, um, I was filming today with a Holocaust survivor, And I realized once the camera was off and I was in conversation with Rose in her kitchen that there was a different dynamic in the conversation. And it occurred to me that my as yet unborn grandchildren will never have the chance to sit across the table as I did today and converse with her. And what she wanted to do was to create a fully holographic um, version of a living human being, full size, high fidelity that you can ask questions of and engage with not to try and replace them but to at least try and capture that dynamic what she originally thought was well there's all this content in the show foundation which has been beautifully tagged maybe we can just ask questions of these 50,000 people um, and get an answer you know do you forgive the perpetrators for example so that's what she wanted. We didn't have that. It didn't exist as a natural language processing existed, but it wasn't really formed yet as something that we were using on a day-to-day basis. And so we put together a research group. Um, it was the USC Shoah Foundation. It was the Institute of Creative Technologies, which are a lab based at USC that work in graphics and natural language processing and other technologies, and Heather's company, Conscience Display. And for about six years, we worked together to develop Uh, what we call um, interactive biographies of Holocaust survivors and uh, uh, successfully now have interviewed over 50 people
0: in half a dozen languages. So that people can understand this, you use natural language processing so that people can, with their own voice, ask a question of somebody who's been video recorded already. So what was the first example of this? you decided to make one with a Holocaust survivor. Tell us about the first, the first one.
1: We first of all did a very short prototype and we invited Pinchas Guter, who was a very good friend of mine who I had spent about five years with really documenting his history in great detail. He had come to me um, in the late 90s and told me that um, he had a twin And that for some reason, as a result of what he went through during the Holocaust and the murder of his twin, he had wiped her out of his memory at the age of 11 and had had no luck since then retrieving her memory. And so he and I spent about five years together traveling to Poland and talking and trying to get a sense of who Sabina, his twin, was. And so when we thought, okay, we need, we need somebody who will be prepared to sit and go through this process, which may not be that pleasant and may take a lot of time and may not be that successful, um, there was only one person to call. It was Pinchas Gutter. And the first time, I think we just had about a dozen cameras, but ultimately 113 cameras. After a successful proof of concept, we developed a full pilot And we had Pincus come for five days to Los Angeles. We asked him over a 1,000 questions. From those 1,000 questions, we then did a research project. We went into museums like the Los Angeles Museum of the Holocaust and the United States Holocaust Museum and the Simon Feisenthal Center. And we set this up as a temporary exhibit and saw what would happen when uh, their visitors would just come through. We'd say, oh, would you like to see this new exhibit? And they would talk to Pincus, not realizing that he wasn't on Skype, which is what they thought they were seeing. Uh, ask him questions, and then they, he would answer. And from that, we learned what we didn't know, which was what do people really want to ask, not the, what do we think they want to ask. And so we learned a lot about how to uh, intuit what people are going to be interested in knowing. And so now what happens is you can um, see Pinchas uh, on a screen, And then using your microphone, you will ask him, you know, where were you born? Can you tell me about your siblings? Which concentration camps were you in? In any order, whatever comes to mind. And uh, generally speaking, uh, he's getting well over 90%, um, giving it 90% accurate answers, uh, actually well above that um, to Mm. to questions that people ask.
0: And so just so people can imagine this, all those cameras enabled you to make almost like a holographic quality, three-dimensional representation of Pincus uh, for people who are going to be able to watch it uh, in that high-quality screen. Or Though you can also just watch him simply as a flat character on, on a laptop as well, right? So you, you have sort of different versions of quality of him. What is it that people uh, want to know when they sit down in front of Pincus? Here's this 80-year-old man with his Eastern European accent, and he's survived what is probably the worst humanity has to offer, right? One of the, one of the worst genocides in, in history. What are people asking him when, when they sit in front of him?
1: You know, when Heather and I were first discussing this project, one of the things that we'd both noticed, because we'd both been involved in Holocaust education for quite some time, was that when young people were listening to Holocaust survivors and, and hearing their story, after they finished speaking, this is in a live event, after they finished speaking, hands would go up and they would ask questions. I never once heard a student saying, can you clarify, was it the 13th or 14th of May when you were put on the train? Their questions were all about the consequences. How do you feel having lost your parents? Do you hate the Germans? Do you believe in God? Questions like that were the, the preval, you know, most prevalent questions. And so that has continued to be the case, actually, when we've now created these uh, you know, interactive biographies because the students still have the same questions. What's fascinating, though, Charlie, is this. They ask even more blunt questions to the mm-hmm. video than they do to the real person because what we discovered doing our research was they're a little say, nervous about offending the living person. They're not so nervous about offending the video. So while they um, are not offensive in their language, we actually see virtually none of that at all. It's actually really interesting, but they'll be more blunt. Things like, you know, do you hate? Are Are you angry and bitter? Whatever it might be, very sort of straightforward questions they will ask. When young people in particular, which is our data set that we were looking at, met with a living person, there was a a really emotional connection developed, visceral sense of, you know, being in the presence of history. Interestingly, knowledge gains were greater with the video version of the same person. Um, because in a sense, they were able to explore using their curiosity. They were able to explore more deeply and gain more more knowledge and more
0: information. So it's a little less visceral and emotional. So from this experience of creating One with Pincus, and, and by the way, we were very honored to have that at The Future of Storytelling and really excited to share that with our community who were blown away when you set that up um, at Faust and people could come and speak to Pincus it went off brilliantly. I know from myself and from from the other people who were there that day the sense of wonder that you could just ask him anything and he would respond felt that really felt like magic and it's exactly the kind of work that we That we look to celebrate at the future of storytelling because it really, you are really pushing the boundaries uh, into a whole new place. Stephen, I know that you've now taken this and evolved it into a new iteration, and, and in fact, have launched a company around it called Storyfile. Would you tell us about Storyfile? We were hearing over and over again from the
1: public, including actually at the Future of Storytelling, people saying, "This is fantastic! I would love to interview my grandfather or my mom or whoever it might be." And the, you know, these interviews that we were doing at the Show Foundation were costing literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, they were basically you know laboratory type um, productions, as it were, research project productions, um, and were not really made for a commercial application. So we had to start over um, and uh, decided to say, okay, how do we get this from being $500,000 you know, for a high-fidelity, future-proved, holographic, interactive biography to $50 in your pocket and on your iPhone? Mm-hmm. So that meant creating a new technology, cloud-based, automatic um, process that would enable any camera from, a, you know, a phone in your pocket through to a studio, you know, camera, and a volumetric camera too, more importantly, so that you can collect, you know, um, for 360. And so that's what we built. It's called the Natural Conversation Storytelling System, which is um, it's a proprietary platform that we built. We call it Converser, actually. And Converser is an engine, basically, that allows any conversation to be captured, using video, or actually video or any other visual format, um, an output so that you can then engage with that in a conversational uh, manner. And that's the basis of the company called StoryFile.
0: Okay, so you have this now as an app that somebody can download onto their phone. And using the camera on the phone, you can record your grandmother, ask her a whole bunch of questions. That video then gets stored on the cloud, the conversation or the words that she said in the video get tagged. And then once that's all recorded, then you can do the playback and you can, you or anyone else could then download the story file of your grandmother and ask her questions. And as you ask the questions, your language goes back up to the cloud is recognized by the converser, identifies the sections of the video where she addresses your question and then streams it back to you. uh, And all of that so quickly that it feels basically like we're having a conversation in real time. Absolutely, that's exactly how it works. So for a family member, for example,
1: you would go to a website, it's a web app, it's called life.storyfile.com. And what happens there is there's about 2,500 questions you can choose from. You choose your scripts, basically, the things that you want to talk about. So it breaks it down into manageable chunks because, you know, we're not used to telling the story of our lives on a Saturday afternoon, you know, for <laughs> six hours. So the idea is that you could go to grandma's and say, OK, grandma, I'm going to come around, you know, every Saturday for an hour and we're going to sit and then you can really do quite a nice job and it just captures it all for you. Importantly, uh, the default position for everything at File is private. Um, And so what we're trying to do is create a safe space for you to be able to keep authentic memories that you can either just keep for yourself or share with the closest family members you have or leave for the future or journal along as you go along and just keep it for yourself uh, like a a video
0: journal. So lots of things you can do with it. I think this is the most, I don't know if revolutionary is the right word, but the most sort of impactful application because I lost my mom when she was 47, My wife, my son, never met her. Um, What I wouldn't give to be able to have a story file of my mom that that my wife and my son could speak to and get a sense of her and have a conversation with her, Uh, I just wish that this had been around so much earlier. And, And given that, and I think that's a very common feeling, I think everybody would like to be able to have a more personal and interactive way to remember their loved ones with something like this I wouldn't just have a little bit of a snippet I would feel like I was actually able to talk to her and have a real conversation and when you told me about StoryFile and the fact that this was being created as a mobile you know application uh, I got very excited about bringing it back to FOSS again. This is now a few years later from the original vi- visit. And, uh, and I think it was you, Stephen, who had the idea, well, if we're going to show StoryFile off at Fost, why don't we do one with you, Charlie? <laughs> and I was exactly. like, okay, what's involved? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I- I'm featuring you, not me. <laughs> anyway, you invited me to L.A., and you said there would be about 500 questions and they would take, it turned out to take three days. And uh, I, I put that time aside on my calendar and I came out and we came to the studio and I sat down and the questions started. And you guys pulled no punches, like right away. These were really intimate and intense mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment when I'm sitting there in that chair with the lights on, the camera recording where I realized I had to make a decision about whether I was going to answer these questions as honestly and, and sort of wholeheartedly as I could, or whether I was gonna kind of just mail it in and, and say something superficial. And, and I realized that I was now in this chair doing this not for the false stage, but I was doing it for my son and I was doing it for my unborn grandchildren. Mm -hmm. that I wanted to be able to give them the opportunity that I hadn't had with my mom. And so I sat there and answered these questions really intensely (laughs) and and it put me through a lot. It was very like almost like an existential crisis because when you start to answer all these questions about yourself, you realize that your own identity is based on a bunch of stories you tell yourself. I was feeling like, Who am I but this collection of stories that I'm telling? And uh, it was a very intense experience to go through. But now there is this story file of me. Are you pleased you did it? I am pleased I did it. I'm really glad that it exists. By the way, it's years ago now, so I don't remember any of the answers I had to any of the questions. So sometimes when people ask my story file questions... I'm surprised <laughs> and delighted by the answer. Um, yeah, it's there, and, and it's on the StoryFile app. And in fact, I, I think we have it here. Steven and I, we can pull it up. Maybe you should ask me a question or two.
1: <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it, because actually it'll be very interesting to see what you did say a few years ago. Here we go. What is your name?
0: My name is Charles Harris Melcher. What kind of person was your mother? My mom, uh, well, one thing that sort of describes her, in college, she was a math major, uh, which, of course, wasn't that common for women then. And she was also CCNY um, beauty queen. Uh, So she was a a double threat. Um, She was incredibly uh, loving, kind, uh, wonderful woman, also quite artistic, loved to paint. Uh, After college, she went to work at IBM, Actually, her starting salary was greater than my father's starting salary, uh, which I love. Um, and she then went on to have a career in um, systems design and, and computers. And her last job was in artificial intelligence, um, expert systems uh, for business applications. What do you miss most about your mother? I think what I miss most about my mom is, is her... Um, presence, her ability to just um, be there and to listen, uh, to have you feel like you're the most important thing in the world, Um, her laugh, uh, and her, her unconditional love for me. How will storytelling be in the future? So there's no one future of storytelling. And I do get asked, you know, what is the future of storytelling fairly often? And my response to that is that No one can know for sure, but there are certain things that I look at and see as kind of clues for where things are heading, and one of my insights or one of the things that I I see as a clue is that we've left the era where media is passive, where it's one way. We grew up, or I grew up, when my my father used to call me a couch potato because I would sit there on the couch and watch so many hours of TV. Um, And that's because there was no other uh, option. All mass media was unidirectional. You had to either just sit and watch or listen um, or at best read. Uh, With the invention of the Internet, all of a sudden we had the world's first mass two-way media. And that opened up the opportunity for people to be able to share, to comment, to like. And all of that was part of the first wave of, uh, of social media but it just opened up Pandora's box, meaning people now are even more hungry to participate, to co-author, to collaborate, to have a role to play. And I see that being one of the major paradigm shifts of the 21st century, that storytelling now is a two-way art form, and you have to figure out how to let the people formerly known as the audience have a role. People want to be heroes in their own adventures, and we as storytellers need to create the kinds of stories that welcome them in and share some of that agency. Wow, that's just crazy to, to hear those stories again. And, and that wouldn't at all have been maybe the, the answer I would have given to, to those questions. But again, I'm just so appreciative that I have that. And someday, you know, some ancestor of mine will, will have the opportunity to spend time with it. It plays to kind of a fantasy of mine as a consumer of stories and as a creator of stories that I've always had, which was the... Uh, the, the hope to someday be able to talk to the characters that I'd fallen in love with from stories or movies or um, other, other forms of media. And we grew up in this age where all of that was just fixed. It, I, I, I couldn't ask a question of, of my heroes, but you are, are helping us move to a direction where uh, this idea of stories that are fixed become... Um, actually alive. I mean, it's it's literally a kind of living interaction with fictional or historical figures, uh, or, or currently alive ones who just aren't, hap- who are not going to actually be there for the moment. I mean, a good example of that, right, isn't William Shatner a, a, a partner or, or spokesperson for StoryFile? I mean, how fun to be able to uh speak to William Shatner and ask him questions, even though he's still alive. I just don't get access to the man, <laughs> but I'd love to. We, we should ask him a few questions.
1: <laughs> okay, let's do that right now. Here we go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what is your name? My name is William Shatner.
1: What do you like about getting older?
2: Well, if you like, when your shoulders hurt and your hips hurt and your legs... Don't move as well as they did. It's it's great. But, you know, wisdom is supposed to... You're supposed to acquire wisdom when you get older. I don't... I'm waiting for that to hit. Why did you do a story file? The reason I'm doing this is uh, complex. On the one hand, I... By the dint of the work I've done in the past, uh, people think of me as... Oh, what's the future and how the... So as a result of being pushed in that direction and my own interests, I have a fervent interest in the future. What's going to happen? And especially as you get older and you know the time left on earth is very short, what's going to happen the day after I die? Will it all cease to exist? Or does it just, oh, he died? You know? So a... A profound interest in the future, in addition to that, the present, this technology is fascinating, and I love technology and I love new things and I love I love the mechanics of how things work, so that's part of it. So um, you know, it was fun.
1: It was fun interviewing uh, William Shatner for four and a half days because we could easily have been there for another four. Um, what a storied individual! I mean, really, um, just and and a great storyteller. You know, normally you ask the question, you know, uh, what's your favorite color, and you get blue, green, or pink, whatever. The he starts like, well, let me tell you about this, you know, balloon, and it's some this this story just sort of unfolds. Um, And eventually it comes back to why it's his favorite color. And I have to say, I just really appreciated his storytelling skills. They were
0: quite spectacular. I, I also think there's something so powerful about being able to have the agency to ask questions. It's how we, in a large way, how we decide what we want to learn about and how we learn about the world. And so few forms of learning are are based on that in in our world of mass media or or fixed media as i like to say you know you don't you don't get that from reading a book you don't get that from watching television you don't get that from a movie and yet here you're you've created a way to let us use this like natural interface the the spoken word and the opportunity to ask questions in conversation as the interface for all this Information that's being stored. And, and I just can't help but think there's going to be a million applications and a million ways where people would rather be able to um, have this kind of natural conversational interface than a keyboard or, uh, you know, or typing with their thumbs or whatever it is. So what are your insights about this as, as a form of interacting with with information? You know, conversation
1: is at the heart of our lives and questions, you know. The essence of human communication is in the questions we ask of one another, but we don't actually spend much time thinking about how to ask. And now what's happened is we've had this layer inserted, um, which is basically text search. And what we do is we put in a string of words that we think is going to get back from the internet, from the millions of options that we could possibly have, the thing that's closest to what we're looking for. Great. So now we've got information and data coming at us based on those text searches that we put in. But what happens if that was much more intuitive? What happens if it's more human? So StoryFile has a great opportunity here to bring a different... I I see it like a, a new medium in a way, Charlie, by which if we can learn to channel our most natural form of communication, which is how to ask questions, into... Um, engagement with our digital world. I think we can enrich it dramatically.
0: So there are so many powerful applications. What, what are some of the others that you've been thinking of? Where else are, are people making story files? Well, obviously,
1: there's a always a race against time when living human beings are um, at the end, towards the end of their life. Um, we're not entirely focused on that. That's not what we're about. But obviously. Uh, right now a wonderful project we're doing with um, the world war ii museum where veterans who served on every front in world war ii are being interviewed and there'll be more to come about that in due course but just to have the opportunity to sit in the presence of those heroes who are now centenarians um, and to make sure that they can tell their story into the future is a tremendous honor i have to say but there's also some other applications um Storyfile is a digital studio, so um, we are, for example, working with a number of museums um, and uh, enterprises where um, their their characters are no longer alive, um, and so we create what we call digital recreations. Um, they've been touted as being deep fakes. The difference is a deep fake is something that's hacked. A digital recreation is something that's authentic and built from authentic content, um, and so we develop. Um, digital recreations of uh, characters that might go in a museum. And so it sounds to us at the moment a little spooky. Believe me, a good number of my friends, very close friends, were interviewed for this program and have now passed away. And it is a beautiful experience, is all I can tell you. It's truly a beautiful experience to be able to look them in the eye and say, Hi. Hi. And to see their embodiment come back and talk, uh, and you, you, some of our listeners will find that really weird and think, "Gosh, he's like on a he's, he's just, there's something really wrong with this." One day you'll ex- one day you'll experience it, and then you'll know what I'm saying because it really is truly a beautiful experience.
0: Yeah, I think we we all are so trained to want to cheat death. Or, or somehow overcome the permanence of that. I mean, I think about the early days of photography and um, very few people had portraits because it was a new medium, but when somebody would die, they would take a, a death portrait because that was the last moment before they were put in the ground to, to be able to capture their image and save it. And those were treasured by family members because that was the last thing they had of that beloved one. But imagine again, if, it, if you had a story file where it wasn't just an image, but hundreds of questions of the, a whole like lifetime of conversation um, and that it's brought to life with not just the image of the face or or the words, which you could get, I guess, in a written form, But actually, as you said, all of those things that make it human, the expressions, the intonations, the physical gesture, um, all of that is so important in communicating who that person is and and all the information that they're sharing, how they really feel about the words they're expressing. My experience so far as well has been that uh, those who have had loved ones who've
1: passed away that have story files have been very comfortable um, you know, engaging with them. I mean, <laughs> I went to <laughs> more than one memorial service um, where the individual literally, you know, was at their own memorial service. Um, mm. And so, I think this this is sort of a, it's 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 a new concept, and it's not what this is not one we'd planned for. I have to say, it's just emerged out of this need when you're mourning the passing of a loved one to feel their embodiment and they'll hear their voice and connect with them. And it's, n- it's not like a seance or something like that. It's just video. That's all it is. It's just like playing a reel effectively of their life. But this time it's responding to you and you're hearing them and seeing them as they were and as you remember them. And actually, family members have shared with us that it's really quite comforting and uh, a meaningful experience. So we're, we're pleased it's being used in that way.
0: So Stephen, you've had so many conversations with people who've survived really the worst that, that humanity has to offer. You've, you know, for, as you said, 10 different genocides. What is some insight that you've gained from dealing with people who've, who've literally seen the worst that, that humans can do? What's really surprising is that people
1: who suffer don't become angry and vengeful and bitter. And in fact... Quite the reverse is true. I've not heard, I don't think, in 30 years, uh, vengeance from the survivors of the Holocaust. I've heard some anger and some bitterness, and wouldn't you be angry if you know 80 members of your family had been murdered in cold blood? But, but it's not the type of anger that results in hatred being developed. And in fact, the vast majority of them Their lives are dedicated to the pursuit of um, engagement with others, in providing amazing values and the resilience and the tenacity of those individuals to overcome that hatred and to return it in love into our society, I have to say, has been a life-changing experience for me to encounter day after day after day.
0: One of the theories that we operate on at The Future of Storytelling is that These new technologies are helping us to evolve to a place that actually is more um, core to who we were originally as a species. In other words, we're getting out of interfaces and and ways of interacting that are not so natural or human to ones that are much more organically um, human. And I can't think of a better example than StoryFile that lets us Use something as as cutting edge as artificial intelligence and natural language processing and and huge amounts of data transported through the cloud at super speeds, but ultimately to let us do something as truly you know, innate to us as human beings, which is to have a conversation with a loved one or with with someone that we admire and so for that, Stephen, I just thank you for the for the great work, and I can't wait to see what else comes down the road from, from StoryFile.
1: Well, thank you, Charlie. And thank you for all the work you do to bring stories to life, because you know, we just believe very deeply in what you just said, that from an evolutionary biology perspective, we were conversing and answering questions as the means to transmit what it meant to live in the world from the very beginning. We found great ways to improve our communication, You know, first of all, by writing and then printing and then all of the many different forms of media we have today. But it does bring us back to the question of who are we at the core and how do we tell our story? Because in the end, that's
0: all we got. Here's to more asking of good questions and more great conversations. Stephen, thank you for being here with me today. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie, you too. <laughs> My sincere thanks to Stephen Smith for joining me on today's show. You can browse the full library of available story files, including mine, and create your own by visiting the link in this episode's description. Thank you for listening to the Fost Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a kind review. Every single one helps. Fost also produces a monthly newsletter Filled with valuable information for storytellers of all kinds, as well as recommendations for cool immersive stories you can experience in person and online. You can subscribe for free by visiting the link in this episode's description or on our website at FOST.org. The FOSS podcast is produced by Melcher Media in collaboration with our talented production partner, Charts and Leisure. I hope we'll see you again soon for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please be safe, stay strong, and story on.